It's one of those startups that just hire, 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 and then they're bleeding money all the time. And I realized it was going on and I raised my voice and they didn't like it. I was very well paid. I did a great job there, but I was like, we're spending so much money. Where are we earning money? I was not supposed to ask that question as a regular employee. I was not in a management team. I became a little bit too disruptive for them. But, you know, I also wonder where this question came from because I had not had, you know, I was not a businesswoman yet or anything like that. Mm -hmm. But I still made me wonder, how can they hire so many people? As a CEO of your business, it is important to have a financial vision that aligns with your purpose, cause or belief. That is your why. Your company achieves its purpose, cause, or belief through the operation of your existing processes, like your sales process, marketing process, recruiting process, onboarding process, delivery process, as well as your post-delivery process. Like it or not, when you are a CEO, through each process, you will be making business decisions. And every business decision has a financial impact. When you align your why to your financial vision, then you will be making smart and strategic financial decision that allows you to achieve your why. You're listening to Her CEO Journey, the business finance podcast for women entrepreneurs. I am your host, Christina Shahli. My guest and I take you behind the scenes and into the inner working of our businesses sharing the good, the bad, and the truth about the money we have made or lost and recover as entrepreneurs. And all because we want you to see how you can live a freedom lifestyle using the power of finance to build your business dream. This week, I'm talking to Sigrun. She is a mastermind business coach, TEDx speaker, and host of The Sigrun Show. Let's find out Sigrun's CEO journey and how she aligns her purpose to accelerate gender equality to her financial vision to reach eight figures in three years and nine figures in 10 years. Sigrun, welcome to her CEO journey podcast. Thank you for having me, Christina. Well, I am excited to hear about your journey. So background about Sigrun. Sigrun is on a mission to accelerate gender equality through female entrepreneurship. She is the leading business mentor for female entrepreneurs in Europe, TEDx speaker, and host of the Sigrun Show podcast. She has a very interesting journey. I listened to her TEDx, and she was an architect and CEO of a software company, and then now she has her own business. She grew her business from five figures in year one to seven figures in year four, and then she has a very interesting, exciting plan for 2020. So Sigrun, please share your CEO journey. How is it from an architect and then now you have your own business? Well, how much time will you have? <laughs> well, you know, let's, let's see. How about... <laughs> let's start somewhere. Yeah. Actually, I never worked as an architect. It was two years before I finished my degree that I realized I did not want to work as an architect. And I made this realization by uh, working in the summers, you know, when there was a holiday, a school holiday or university holiday, you call it probably, I took the opportunity to work in an architecture office. And although the two architects that I worked for were wonderful and I proved myself as a valuable uh, 
architecture student very fast. I took over their AutoCAD, you know, I taught them how to use more technology in their business. And they allowed me to design things that I just thought you had to first finish your degree before you had those kind of opportunities. So I'm really grateful for those two architects, but I realized working for them that I didn't want to become one of them. I felt I was meant for something bigger. Mm. So yeah, I, I made some realization, you know, I'm creative, but I realized also I'm not that super creative architecture design person. And so two years before my studies were finished, I moved on into computer science. I, was, I could take uh, projects there and I still finished my architecture degree. So actually I am a licensed architect, but I could take a lot of electives in computer science. And uh, yeah, so I got into this exciting world of virtual reality. And my final thesis was actually in the computer science department, but got permission to graduate as an architect with his thesis Wow! because I kind of designed a virtual campus and then programmed it. And it was actually dynamic. You could just create seminar rooms on the fly. But anyway, I also realized soon that I was too early. There were about 100 people in the world doing virtual reality, and there was no sign of this uh, taking off commercially in any shape or form. So I had to go back to 2D. And I got a job in a software company doing informational design. So okay. that felt pretty cool because I called it information architecture. So we did, for instance, maps for Lufthansa. They had websites so people could, you know, find city maps for Lufthansa. Nice. And this was a little startup company in, in Iceland. And I enjoyed this a lot. I was there for about two years. And then... They had just hired too many people. It's one of those startups that just hire, 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 and then they're bleeding money all the time. And I realized it was going on and I raised my voice and they didn't like it. I was very well paid. I did a great job there, but I was like, we're spending so much money. Where are we earning money? I was not supposed to ask that question as a regular employee. I was not in a management team. I became a little bit too disruptive for them. But, you know, I also wonder where this question came from because I had not had, you know, I was not a businesswoman yet or anything like that. Mm -hmm. But I still made me wonder, how can they hire so many people? I think one of my wake-up calls was there was a programmer who had just been hired. I was trying to help him do something and I realized he couldn't really program. (laughs) I could program better than the programmer they hired and I wasn't even a programmer at the company. So I realized there's something really bad going on here. They had to let a lot of people go in 2002. And then I was suddenly without a job. It was quite a shock. At the same time, I saw there was a course for women only to learn how to create a business plan. And I was like, yes, I want to participate. This was a three-year project. Uh, It was at the University of Reykjavik, Deloitte and a bank. Mm -hmm. And it went over three years and it was to create more female entrepreneurs. And they subsidized it. So I think I only had to pay $400 for a three-month course. That was- No kidding. $400? (laughs) $300 or $400, two evenings a week, dinner included. So they wanted to do everything that women could come straight from work, started at 6 p.m., went into 10 p.m., twice a week. I had to come with a team. So you had to apply because it was subsidized. They couldn't take everyone. So you had to apply with a business idea And I got my sister and another friend who uh, had been working with me. We came with a business idea. It was my business idea. 
And then we worked on this for three months and delivered the business plan. And it was, it was an amazing experience. I wish this would exist everywhere in the world. But unfortunately, close it after three years. We were one of the last to go through the program. There's so much success, actually, to this program. But I was too scared to start a company. So that was 2002, Sigrun. Yeah. And I was too scared to start a company. I had this business plan in front of me. I had kind of validated everything. But I was scared. I, you know. Okay. I needed a job, you know, I needed some money. <laughs> and uh, so I was scared to start a company. But this experience, I go back to this of planting that seed of at some point I would have my own company. I knew that. So I applied for a job with a business plan. So it was easier to get a job because I showed them how I was going to build up a consulting arm in a website company. Okay. And I come into this company and I take over all sales and basically make sure they get more sales. It was a difficult time in IT and generally in the economy. Things were not going so well at this time. Difficult to get a job. So I was just lucky to get a job. But a year later, I come to work and suddenly the company has been sold. That's where I got the crazy idea I could be the CEO myself. Without a business education, without a business experience. But I think that course, that entrepreneurship course, and just me watching, how does this really work? They're getting revenue there and this is the cost. And I just had this feeling I could do it. Okay. So with a little information that you learned in 2002, in that uh, when you created the business plan, you apply for a job and then suddenly you have this dream that you want to become this yeah. And wow. I, couldn't, I couldn't shake it off. It was crazy. I thought to myself, this is crazy. I don't know anything about bookkeeping. I don't even understand debit and credit and all that stuff. I was like, but I had the business plan course, which I had done a year earlier. And I thought to myself, I can create a budget. I can figure out. I knew all the contracts. I didn't know how the company was doing financially. Actually, it turned out it had been a loss making company for seven years. Seven years. And then how many employees did they have? 15. Okay, I'm, I'm confused here. How did they survive for seven years? Well, the father of the owner had money and they just injected money into the company endlessly. That's common. Yeah. First, I want to back up a little bit. When you apply for this job, you started doing sales, you said, correct? Yeah, when I applied for a job for this company... I had never done sales before in my life. Yes. I did not consider my a salesperson at all. I had yes. studied architecture yes. and I'd worked in a dry cleaning of my parents. So yes. that's pretty much my background. <laughs> and I come into a software company with my business plan. So they were expecting me to obviously sell my services and then execute this consulting that I had in mind. Okay. The consulting arm re re never really took off. They were busy enough with websites. They had their own website system. We didn't have WordPress at the time. So I had their own CMS. And they were just companies, you know, looking for business. And I saw that we were attracting too much of low-level clients in terms of like two small projects. So you saw that even though you had no business degree. No, I just saw it. It, it, it is as much work to have a client who pays you little and a client who pays you more. Actually, the clients who pay more, they're less work. I already made that insight. 2002 or 2003. Still today, I'm trying to convince my clients of it. And they're like, this can't be. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. The more they pay, <laughs> the less work the clients are. Okay. So you make that realization in 2002. You had no sales background, but you were able to analyze. What do you think? Do you think it's just the way your brain works? Do you think people have that kind of skill? 
I think anyone can sell. So this is how I kind of jumped into the deep end. <laughs> I just, you know, were suddenly in a meeting and I was supposed to sell the software and how we could create a beautiful website for them. And I'm like, I had no idea what I was doing, but I, I just showed the software. I realized at some point showing the software doesn't really sell the software. That was another realization I made. But first, my first meetings, I showed people the software and how it works. And they bought. I think they liked me. They, they thought I was honest. And if I didn't think it was a good fit, I would say that too. So that's how I sold it. Selling over consulting is very different than, you know, I don't know, selling a car or, or selling some product where you feel like you have to be salesy in some way. I was never salesy. I wouldn't sell to people that I, I didn't think was fit. Most people would contact us. So it was a little bit easier. We started outreach later on when I took over the company. But at this point, I was just having meetings with people who already booked a meeting with us. So that is a little bit different. So it felt like I'm just consulting them. And then let's see if they buy. And you make an offer and you figure out what they want in the meeting. So the offer will fit their needs. But I realized see, showing a software is not really what they want. They just want to be heard. Hmm. They just want someone to listen to what their needs are. And then you project it back to them. So your needs are this and this and this. Okay, here's exactly what we could do. Over the next three months, we can work on this project. And then at the end of the time, you will have a beautiful website that does exactly what you want. But not showing them software. But anyway, I made these insights, you know, step by step as a salesperson in this one year before I was bold enough to ask for the CEO job. So how did you do it? So they changed ownership. You were still in the sales position, not yet a senior management, I'm assuming. Is that, or are you part already part or senior management? No, I, I would not take any part in any decision-making for the okay. business, but I pretty much had contact to all the customers. So that's a pretty important position in any company. Yeah, but I was not pulled into meetings, Sigrun, what should we do with the company next? No, they didn't care. <laughs> Okay. And then, so what did you do? The company had been sold to uh, investors. We didn't know exactly who had bought it. We knew who had sold. He had at the same time sold some other companies and we were the smallest company. So nobody called us up. We just knew we had been sold. We read about it in the newspaper. No idea what's going on. Even the current CEO, for him, this was just a part-time job. He was not informing us very much, but it was clear that he would go away. So that much was clear. And I realized that I didn't want a new boss. I think that's where my idea came from. I just didn't want a new boss because he pretty much left me alone. Hmm. Me, and my sister was working in the same company. And I felt in some ways it was just me and my sister running this company, even though there were other people there and, and, and people who kind of had something more to say than us. We were actually making things happen. We were getting shit done. And the others were, you know, talk, uh -huh. talk, talk, drinking coffee. And then drinking coffee and then getting the money. And getting the money. So yeah, that's how women tend to yeah, sometimes land in these roles. And then we had all these guys who I felt were doing nothing. And I just, maybe I just saw that this is so stupid. We have all these guys doing nothing. And I thought to myself, that's the first thing I do. I would get rid of all of them. <laughs> and okay. we should just run the company, me and my sister. And then this would run much better. And once I found out they were losing money, I'm like, we'll fix that. I had no idea how. So you basically, you realize, okay, there is this investor. So you just, what did you do to apply? Did you write a letter? There is no application process when you discover something like this happening. So what I did 
I thought I knew who had bought it. There was rumors, you know, in the newspapers who had bought it. And I look on the website and I see I know a woman working in this company for those investors. It was someone I played with when I was like 10 years old, a neighbor. We hadn't spoken since we were children. And I just email her and say, this is a situation. I think your company bought my company or the company I work for. And actually, I think I didn't email. I think I called her up. I'm, I'm an email person. I don't like calling. But sometimes, you know, when it's important enough, it's better to call people. And when also maybe some sensitive information is involved. So, yeah, I think I called her up and I said, here's the situation. I would like to put myself forward as the next CEO. I know you probably, you know, aren't thinking about that yet, but I know the current one is going away. What would I have to do to have a chance to get this position? And she said, great. We have no one in mind yet. Write us a two-page memo with the current situation of the company and how you see the future. So that's what I do. It's not an application. There's no CV, nothing. It's your thesis. It was like my business plan. But on purpose, I did not send the budget. I started to create a budget for the company. And I thought to myself, I have to be strategic. If you send, and this is unfortunately what I would see some women doing, you send up from all the information and then they hire a guy taking your information. And I was like, ah, I'm not going to let that happen. So I sent them just a two-page memo, kept the budget for myself, just, just said that, you know, I could reveal a budget once we would talk. I don't know where this came from. I had no experience in negotiations, but I just felt I need to be smart about this. I'm not going to give them the, you know, everything on a silver platter. Okay. So then what happened? A few weeks passed and I'm like, hmm, nothing is happening. No one is reaching out to me. I started to doubt that they were really interested. They possibly had someone else in mind. All these negative thoughts that we get. Yeah. And I take one day off from work because I was studying computer science on the side. Still? Well, I wanted to have it. I was running a software company or not yet, but I was in a software company. I had left architecture behind me. I was already in software for three, four years. And I thought to myself, this is my new direction. So I'm going to be very well equipped. And I love studying. It's no problem, you know. And uh, I was doing it on the side. Full-time job. I did computer science degree on the side, master's degree. And I am studying for an exam. I take one day off to prepare a little bit better. I didn't think I was prepared enough. And my sister calls me and says, Sikron, the guy, you know, the, the new owner, they came to visit the company. And it wasn't the guys that I had emailed my memo. But it was his friend. I know they know each other. So I thought he probably has it because they talk. But, you know, this was all from the newspapers. You know, I, I don't know anything. And I'm just, I start to panic a little bit. I'm like, I have to call them today to have this chance. Otherwise, the chance is gone. It's like this opportunity in front of you, you either take it now or you leave it forever. And I'm like, okay, screw my uh, exam. I have to just, you know, take action. But I didn't have a phone number. He didn't leave a phone number. And uh, I was like, oh, how do I find a phone number of someone who probably doesn't want to be reached? So I call up my brother, who was just a little bit older than me. He is also not in business or, you know, any kind of commerce. So it was just like, who do I call? I'm like, call my older brother. <laughs> <laughs> I had no idea. Yes, somehow. I didn't know how. It was just like, <laughs> be resourceful. And then, Exactly. That's the point. Yeah. 
So he said, yeah, he owns another company. Call that company and see if you can get the mobile phone number for there. So I call another company that he owns, which was like a fruit importing company. <laughs> totally different business. Yes. I call them up and I say, hey, I need to talk to so-and-so. And I said, well, he's not here. Well, can I please have his mobile phone number? I need to urgently reach him today. Well, we don't give that out. Well, he just bought a company that I work for. And, you know, this is really important. You know, I am working in one of his companies. And, you know, after a few <laughs> back, back and, and forth, forth, yeah, they actually gave me his mobile phone number. And I'm like typing it into my mobile phone. And I'm like, what am I doing? I don't know what I'm doing. Uh, I was very scared. Did you even know what you're going to say? No. But I was trying to come up with what I would say, of course. But, you know, I, I think I might even have written it down because I was uh, very worried about this whole conversation. I'd never done anything like this before in my life. Then I call up and say, hi, I'm Sigrun. I work at this company, you know, that you bought. And I heard you came to visit today and I wasn't there. I'm sorry. I'm, uh, you know, I took a day off. Uh, so I'm sorry that, I, that we didn't meet. I was wondering if you had my memo. And he said, yes, I do. Then I was a little bit kind of feeling calmer about it. And I said, yeah, I am interested in the CEO role of this company. Okay, then let's meet. So half an hour later, I was in a coffee shop and I thought I was just meeting him to have a little chat. No, no, he brought his lawyer with him and then they asked me everything. And I couldn't answer half of the questions. I, I didn't feel very good about that. It was like, ugh, I've just been kind of interviewed and I wasn't prepared to be interviewed. Mm -hmm. But what followed was a series of uh, meetings. I brought my budget along, you know, in the, probably in the second meeting, I brought it and showed it, here's what I'm working on. And I realized that company was not in, in, in good situation. I said, yeah, uh, but we do have some very valuable clients. We had the largest bank in Iceland. We had Toyota of Iceland. We had some solid clients and I, I felt strongly about being able to build more of that up. I had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> wow. Okay. And, and then I was hired. My rule became, if you're not contributing directly to any type of revenue, you're gone. Don't have any debt weight in the business. Have someone actually produce results. That's bold. And yeah. then you know what? A lot of companies need that. To turn it around, especially if they've been losing money for seven years and then there's a new yeah. investor coming in, you think... <laughs> they, they're putting that money. They want to turn it around. And I turned it around in 11 months. Wow. I went through all the books because I had no idea about bookkeeping. Every evening, I would take a binder home with me from the you know, previous year. I had no idea what I would discover. And I would just flick through the binder and see receipts and invoices and see what are we spending on. And I saw a lot of mess. A lot of mess. I was like, Things that, you know, I would not have invested in. But I also discovered assets. I discovered that uh, there was a deal made with a TV, uh, with, with a TV station that they would get website against ads. But I'm like, we don't want to run ads. You know, that's not the type of company that wants to run ads. So mm -hmm. I called up my new boss, the chairman of the board, the new owner. I said, here I have something. I think you need to turn this into money. Because, you know, I, I'm not in position. Nobody knows who I am, you know. Mm -hmm. And he was able to do that. So I gave him the information that he needed. And he just went to the TV bosses. And since he was a respected investor with shares in 
mm-hmm. you know, I think 40 companies or so, he could negotiate with them. Of course, we didn't get the, the whole amount, but a little bit lower and we actually got cash. This is a very key point. You didn't know anything about bookkeeping. You didn't, you didn't have a business background, but no. I think what you had was curiosity, understanding the big picture. And then because you understand the big picture, you were able to one, dive deeper into the details to understand what's going on. And I think your story is so important to every single entrepreneur. It's that curiosity and then, you know, from the big pictures to bring it down and then say, you know what, I want to know more. And then how can I know more? And then I think it's about asking the right question, being curious. When you don't know something, you ask. From what you're telling me so far, it seems that that curiosity, that asking question, just like bring you forward each time in your journey. Absolutely. Absolutely. So how is this, you know, from a CEO, turn it around in 11 months and you know, you went to London Business School because you think you want to learn about MBA, which is, I think you already learned it from the software company. And then I guess now you're right. you have your own company. So let's talk about how did you get started? I think a seed was planted early on, as I said, probably first with my parents having their own business, even if it was a, a relatively simple company, a dry cleaning, you know, it has the lowest paid job you can have is, is working in a dry cleaning. But I learned a lot through that. Also the, the business plan course in 2002. And then I think the third seed was attending Tony Robbins' Unleash the Power Within in February 2008. I had left a job there. I had been working in, uh, in the software company. It had been sold twice. Oh, the uh, company that you beca- became the CEO. Yeah, yeah, I doubled the value of the company for the investor. My bonus was he paid for my MBA and a flat in London while I was there. <laughs> so yeah, I got a bonus indirectly. Like I never got cash bonus, but I, I said, I want the MBA and I want you to pay for it. And he said, okay, that's it. And that was our deal, which is great. And the company was sold twice, always with me. So I was like an asset in the company and I was sold twice with the company. <laughs> and every time my contract got better and better because the previous owner said, Sigrun, I, you need to go with the company. I said, okay, here is here's my demands. Normally in Europe, you have a three-month notice period. And I had a six-month notice period by the second time. Plus, I said, you know, I'm still, uh, you know, finishing up my MBA. You still promise to pay for everything. Like you can't just dump it because the former boss was not there to protect me anymore. But now it was solid in my contract that they had to pay the end of my studies, even if I would even if they would get rid of me in the company, mm-hmm. they were committed to the studies mm-hmm. until it was finished. So mm-hmm. I had a solid employment contract. Mm-hmm. And in December 2007, unfortunately, I didn't like the people I was working for anymore. And we started to kind of have little fights. They asked me, for instance, to... I had, I had by then 43 employees. And they asked me to ne- renegotiate with all the employees and make their work contract 40 hours a week instead of 37 and a half, which is normal in Iceland. I had a simple contract of two pages and everything else was referred to a union contract. That's how I've always done contracts. I, write, I like simple contracts and everything else should be either by law or by some union. Mm-hmm. They didn't want that. They wanted a 10-page contract, 40 hours. Blah. It just it felt so icky from all angles and 
protecting my employees became my number one. I didn't care about myself anymore. I knew I had a good contract in terms of notice period. So my fights weren't about me. I was about not doing this to my employees. At the end, they fired me because I wasn't going to let this. Yeah, I said over my dead body. I'm not doing these contracts. Are they a European company? Yeah, yeah. They are now the largest software company actually in Iceland. I hope they've changed their practices. I do believe they do. But there were some people in place that shouldn't have been running a company like this. The company I was running before it was merged and sold, we actually two years in a row were one of the best companies to work for of small companies in Iceland. So That's a big accomplishment. I know that the practices that we had being more human and, Mm -hmm. you know, not having so strict work contracts uh, was better. Anyway, so I am in February in Mm -hmm. London on Lisa Power Within. I'm on a so-called garden leave because I've lost my job, but I don't really consider myself unemployed because I'm on a CEO salary for six months. So I'm just there enjoying my time, wrapping up my thesis at uh, London Business School and then going to Tony Robbins. And I realized that most of the attendees are entrepreneurs. You just hear it from the conversations and how he also speaks. And I'm like, wow, that's, that's kind of exciting to be an entrepreneur, to be a business owner, to own your own company. But it was just a little seed. It, it went away again. Everything I did, and I still have some notes from this time, was about how I would be a CEO, how I would run a bigger company. I had run a 70-people company. That was the largest one I'd run so far. So I thought to myself, 200, 500, what's next? You know, mm-hmm. the sky was the limit. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, uh, we write a vision. And I wrote it down, and I lost it. And I found it again in December 2017. And I am shocked what's, what was on the paper because I was not planning to be an entrepreneur, but it said, own my own company, make a million dollars. So you didn't even remember. The no. seed was planted in your head, but that note got lost. You didn't even think about it. No, never. Because I was looking for the next job. Yeah. Not urgently, but I say, okay, I have six months. I have time to look around. Should I work in London? Should I be in Iceland? I got Great opportunity, actually, that summer or spring. Carlos Ghosn from Nissan Rio Ono. Maybe he's not in high... People talk, don't talk so well of him right now because yeah. he's thought to have done something shady. But, you know, back in 2008, he was the god of turnarounds. Mm. And, and me having done, uh, worked mm-hmm. on two turnarounds, I'm like, the god of turnarounds is speaking at London Business School. I have to be there. There was a cocktail party afterwards with the executive MBAs. And so I'm there and I see him talking to like 10 guys. And I'm like, I need to go. I have no idea what I'm doing. So I walk over and say, hi, I'm Sigrun. And I've worked on turnarounds too. And it's just like, I had no plan what I was doing. And he looks around, stops talking to everyone else and says, which companies? And I'm like, yeah, just small companies in Iceland. Great. And then we exchange a few sentences. I have no recollection of what it was. And he pulls out a business card and says, please send me an email. We're always looking for new managers. And the guys that were standing around and hoping for a job, they did not get a business card. Wow. And the next day I send an email. And over the next few months, I am flown to Paris and Switzerland for interviews. That was really serious. He was really serious. And they, had, they didn't care that, had, that I knew nothing about the car industry, 
that I'd never worked in a big company in my life. And 1st of September in 2008, I was offered to be the CEO of Nissan Sweden. Wow. Okay. And? By then I had met a man, which I met at Tony Robbins in London. <laughs> Meant to be. And I was, I was never going to be that woman who chases a man into a different country. But I guess you don't know until it's the right person. So here I was, Switzerland or Sweden. <laughs> both, both start with an S and W. Yeah. And then we always mix it up. And the Americans mix it. You tell someone you're from Switzerland and the next sentence, well, Sweden must have a lot of blonde women. And I'm like, yeah, but I just told you that I actually live in Switzerland. <laughs> so anyway, causes a lot of confusion. You know, my, my, my brother and my parents are like, this is a job opportunity of a lifetime. This will never come again. Like this was another guy. Uh, he was similar to my first boss in a, in a way that, he just want, he liked the boldness of me yeah. just introducing myself. Yeah. I was not asking for a job when I say, hi, I'm Sigrun. But, you know, there was a hint of, you know, I can do yeah. something. Yeah, but I think you, you brought it up in a way that I work in a turnaround company. And then probably, you know, he's thinking like, it's a girl. Around me are all men. <laughs> yeah, let, let, me, let me do something new. Let me change things up. So, yeah, it was definitely the advantage of being a woman. I think that was the instance. Well, we should all be like that. Just saying, also raising your hand and saying, hi, I'm here. Yep. And we need to do that because we are otherwise overlooked. Nobody's going to say, oh, I'm going to give the job to that woman. And yes. the back there, you have to come forward and take it. Okay. Yeah. So your parents basically wanted you to take the job instead of staying with your men? <laughs> yeah. And moving to Switzerland because, you know, I, I had finished my studies in London. Yeah. I moved back end of July back to Iceland. I basically was one month in Iceland before I had to make a decision. Do I go Switzerland or Sweden? Because, you know, I had not gotten a job yet. So obviously the CEO job was my financial security. Yeah. Going to Switzerland, that was just love with no security at all, financially or otherwise. But I decided to take the risky route. Oh, that's sweet. Okay, this is your current husband now, right? <laughs> Yes. And we've been together 11 years and all worked out fine. It was tricky the first six months. It's just like when you get to know anyone, you have to iron out a few things. So you basically both with no job, just simply for love. What clicked to you and realized, oh, I can do coaching. I can help other people build their business. What clicked? I had done an online marketing course in... Spring 2013. So I was in Facebook groups with other entrepreneurs. So I saw, and I'm very good at this. I see how things work with others, hmm. even if I'm not doing them for myself yet. And then in the fall of 2013, I'm, I'm even meeting up weekly with other wannabe entrepreneurs. And we're all like these aspiring entrepreneurs, but not there yet. So we meet up for coffee in Starbucks once a week. And one day, one woman told me, oh, I bought this online course where we should take action for three weeks. And I'm like, really? So I go ahead and buy the course too. It's $500. And something goes off in my head. I'm like, I'm really good at this too. Get people to do stuff. So I created my own version of accountability with the women that I knew from locally here in Switzerland who were doing this too. So I just, hey, can you come into a group? And there will be like four or five women. And I'm like, I'm going to give you daily assignments. So it was, it was completely different from the other course. But the other course just sparked an idea in me. 
So I run this course for three weeks and they tell me they get more done in the last three weeks than in the last three months. So you run it for free in a Facebook group. Yeah, yeah. And then I did it again. And then I thought, ah, oh, I don't know if this is a course. And I start to doubt myself. So I didn't do anything with it yet. Then in the first week of January, 2014, I thought to myself, yes, I really want to help people plan their business, like business plans and things like that. That would be close to me, my knowledge. But I realized that entrepreneurs don't want business plans. They just want to, how do I get the next client? But I asked again a few friends uh, to come into a Facebook group. I would uh, help them create their best year yet. So I, I, I phrased it in a way that it was exciting. I didn't tell them that they were creating a business plan. So I created this over five days or so. It was like a challenge although they didn't exist. And then again, I put this to the side, didn't do anything with it. But this sparked enough momentum in me that I saw like, okay, I have to get my Facebook page up and running. I had a Facebook page already, but it was nothing happening there. I started to post regularly and I was able to get my organic reach really high up. It was like super low and I got it high just by posting different things. Do you even know what you need to post? How did you figure out like how about this organic, what you need to post? Like, you know, <laughs> I signed up for a benchmarking tool. There are a lot of benchmarking tools. Mm-hmm. And one of the benchmarking tools I found, they had a lot more access today back then than today. Now you have to pay a lot more, but it was basically for some $50 a month. I had this tool where I could analyze other people's Facebook pages, what they posted, how often they posted, when they posted, what they posted the keywords, everything. And I just looked at this and this was like a pattern. And I'm like, okay, I know what to do. So I just started to post two times a day or three times a day. I wouldn't do that today. The, the rules have changed, but, but you mix up images versus, you know, pictures versus status posts and things like that. And I just like, and in 21 days, it was just going off. Okay, but you already figure out what you want to do. So you know, I'm going to help entrepreneurs. No, with business planning or, or business accountability. Planning. I wasn't really sure, but I was talking a lot about how to find your passion and how to find a good business idea because I was struggling with that myself. Okay. So my first freebie was Facebook organic reach. I get 70 people sign up for my freebie. 70? Already? Seven zero. Yeah, because I was active in Facebook groups and I just put it out there and people signed up. But then I realized I don't want to be known for organic Facebook reach. (laughs) I want to be known for business strategy or business planning or something. Okay. So my next freebie was in March 2014 and then was to create a find your true passion and the right business idea in seven days. And then I got 134 signups and that became my first online course. And that's where things started to roll. I put a button on my website, how people can book one hour business coaching with me. I decided the price would be $180. I was struggling. What should it be? I just knew that in Switzerland, a lot of engineers charge 180 Swiss francs. So that's similar to 180 US dollars. So I just started to charge that. 134 people sign up. Did they pay? No, it's free. I was doing everything for free. My first money was March 26, 2014. You even remember the day. Yes, it's in my calendar. I celebrate it every year. I send an email to my list and said, remember this, your first sale. Wow. And probably this was one of the participants in the free seven-day challenge to find your true passion. And then she booked. I think it was the second person that booked. I, I invited everyone back. You know, you can't live off selling single sessions for $180. That's not very 
smart. This was just my way to kind of to put something on there because I didn't know packages yet or coaching packages. I just, I had no idea. I had no idea how to sell this. So you didn't have a coach. You're basically coaching yourself. Yeah. I thought if I've been a CEO for 10 years yes. and have an MBA, that I just know everything I need to know. But that's bullshit. That's what I want to ask you because, you know, that's exactly what I thought. Okay, I've been part of corporate senior management. I should know how to run a business. It's not the same. It's not the same. And sometimes it's just a little mindset shift that you needed. And I was, wasn't really, it, it didn't start to take off until actually I hired the coach in the fall of 2014. But I, I, I was lucky in a way, even though I don't believe in luck. I don't think it's actually luck. I think it's more about I was posting. I was active on social media and people saw what I was doing. And then in April, a guy reached out to me and said, can I do his website for his company? You know, Icelandic businessman who knew me kind of from afar, not really closely. It was not a friend. Yeah. And I'm like, I don't want to do websites. For me, that was like 10 years ago. So you didn't have, even have a website. All of this is through Facebook at the time. Yeah, well, I had my own website that's done with WordPress theme for $90, did it in, you know, half a day. But he, he, he asked me if I can do his website. Okay. And I'm like, I don't want to be known for that. But this is also just an email or Facebook message. So yeah. I thought to myself, I need this money, you know, because I'm running out of money. Like I'm in minus by here, like because I've been waiting so long to figure out my business idea. Yeah. So I, I need this money. So I make him an offer, $2,000 for a website. And then I got following contracts to maintain the website and do some more things. And this kept me going a little bit for the next months. And I was so glad I took it on. And I rem remind people that don't say no to someone if you are in a financial distress, because that just causes you to kind of, you know, cave in and, and not try it. So on the outside, I, you know, I was still just trying to kind of figure this all out, but I was starting to make money because I got this website project. Okay. And then in the... July 2014, I realized I don't have a freebie because my Passionathon, my online course, was now a course. It was not a freebie anymore. So I was charging for it. 97, 147. I went with the price all the way up to 497 even. But I started weekly webinars to get some traction. And that was really good. I don't recommend it today. So don't copy that strategy if you're listening to it. But <laughs> 2014, webinars were hot. People would sign up for webinars like crazy. I built my list from probably 300 people to 2,000 in a span of a few months doing weekly webinars. And I did them on all types of topics, technical topics in the beginning, Canva, lead pages, Facebook ads, when I finally knew how to run them myself. And then I moved them into more business strategy topics later when I realized I was getting too known for tech. When I realized that, I, 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 I stopped a little bit doing all the tech stuff. But then I'm in September 2014, and I'm still not making the money in relation to my list. I have 1,500 people on my list by that time. I'm making two, 3,000 a month. And I'm like, what is this? I should be making more, I think. So I decided to hire a business coach to learn to launch. I was really interested in launching. I was like, people launching their online courses. I need to learn that. So your focus at the very beginning, even yeah. before the, with the business coach, it's all about online courses. You didn't have any one-on-one, -on -one, nothing online. And VIP, exactly. I guess when somebody comes in and, and they just want to get an hour of your time, that's all. I just had the hourly sessions. I had nothing else. Okay. And the online course. 
low-priced <laughs> online course. So obviously I wasn't making much money, but this doesn't click for me yet. So I hired this coach for coaching and she says, you can work with me for six weeks, twice a week, or three months, once a week. And I'm like, six weeks. I, I wanted to go <laughs> really fast. It was $5,000. And I was like, God, I don't have this money. But I was like, this is my bet. I'm betting on myself. I had waited long enough to figure all this out. And I knew now I needed some help. I pay the $5,000. The same day or day after, I get an email from a guy who's been reading my blog posts. I've been blogging a little bit, writing like, how do you find your passion? How do you find your business idea? So I had like 10 maybe blog posts after a year. So I was not like a super effective blogger, but I had a few blog posts. This guy has been reading my blog post. He's based in Switzerland. And he asked me over email, do you offer coaching? And I'm like, I haven't even started to work with a coach, but now it's starting to click for me. And I'm like, uh, okay. And I come up with $1,500, six sessions in six weeks. I write back to him. The same day, the money is in my account. He pays up front. For six weeks, 1500 Yeah. How did you even come up with the 1500 <laughs> I, I, I think I saw it somewhere. Like, I was like, I just made it up. <laughs> okay, got it. Yeah. Okay, and then? Then something clicked for me. I'm like, okay, now I have my first package. This was even before we had a call with the coach. <laughs> did you even know what you're going to do during that six weeks? I, I, I think you know the end goal, but do you even figure out your process, your system? Oh, yeah. He wanted to find his true passion, the right business idea. And I had already created an online course. So I just gave him access to the online course. I said, yeah, and then we have calls. So you have your access to an online course and then we do the calls. So that was easy. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah, and I had the proof that it worked, the online course with all the participants who had done it. So that, okay. that all worked out. And then I have the, start to have the calls with the coach and she teaches me more about launching. You know, I had been watching several people launch. So I had figured out the pattern about it, but I think I was missing the click to actually ask for the sale. I think that was more my issue. But anyway, I tell her that I want to launch a course on the launch tech you know, because I've been doing Canva, lead pages. I want to teach people all the tech behind launching. And she said, well, I think you should do one-on-one because you haven't really done that first. And I was like, nope, I want to, I want to sell an online course. And she said, okay. And, you know, she goes along with me. I create a sales page. I get 600 people signed up for a webinar. She helps me map. Yeah, 600. I had learned to do Facebook ads. She helps me map out the emails. You know, I get a lot of help. The $5,000 were definitely worth it. That is worth it. <laughs> but one person bought the course. Even though and, 600 sign up. Yeah. And they were super excited in the webinar and everything. And then she says, Sigrun, I told you that you probably should do one-on-one first and not sell a course. And I'm like, oh. So I refund the person that bought the course, 997. She said, you have all these people on your list that love what you're doing. Let's just invite them on a call with you. And you're going to sell them a coaching package on the call. Why do you think she suggested one-on-one first? Because if you haven't sold something to one person first, how can you sell it to many? And this is what I teach my clients too. You can't skip this one. Even though the online course, you started with that, people were interested, and then you sold that one session for 180 March yeah, I sold several of those. Yeah. Okay. You sold several of those, but still the key to this is the one-on-one. 
Yeah, that's where everyone should start. You don't have to do it forever. You don't have to do it for a whole year. But if you can't sell your idea to one person, how should you be able to sell it to many? I had also not done my due diligence. I had not done a survey of what people wanted. Mm. I had not conducted any interviews Mm. if people need or are willing to invest in what I was offering. So I did all the mistakes in the book. And now I can do it differently with my clients. I tell them, hey, don't make the mistakes that I made. Actually talk to people first and figure out if they want what you're offering. But this is the interesting part though, Sigrun. Like when you work for the software company and then you work for other company, you were able to sell. I know. There's blocks that come up when you're suddenly selling in your own name. It becomes suddenly so different and difficult And you are somehow more scared to put yourself out there. A lot of people talk about visibility. I I wasn't so worried about visibility. I love doing webinars from day one. But asking for the sale and and just basic market research was just not on my mind. I I think somehow we think, and I also made the mistake, that online business is different. But online business is just business. Same principles apply. You need to do the market research. You need to talk to people. You need to figure out what they want. And then you put in front of them what they said they wanted. And then it sells like hotcakes. Okay. So what happened? So you started doing one-on-one. There was an email where I wrote down, you know, what has happened in my business. Uh, you know, how, how fast I've grown my email list, for instance. So I used some numbers, even if I was not super successful yet, but I was making money. I was building my list. I was gaining traction. Uh, People were looking up to me. They were looking to me for advice. And I just put this in an email and said, hey, book an online business breakthrough call. And 90 people booked. What were you charging? Were you still charging that 180? Oh, that was a free kind of online business breakthrough call. Free call. Okay, got it. Yeah, 30 minutes. Okay. And I did them back to back. And for the next three weeks, I did nothing else than doing those calls. Some of the calls I was in the car on the way somewhere. It was just, it was crazy. And the first few calls, client after client after client, they just signed up. 1500 Okay. How do I send you the money? PayPal link. What were your conversion rate from that 90 people? At some point, I couldn't take on more clients. And I think those who booked last, because I did send a few reminders, they were not as eager. They just booked a call to pick my brain and weren't really thinking. But the first day that I did those calls, I was in shock myself because everyone just wanted to work with me and I hadn't seen it. So the first year that you reached five figures, what was your number that time? So I made 55,000 in three months after I finally understood how this works. 55,000. By making that call, the breakthrough for 30 minutes, and then you sell your 1500 one-on-one coaching for six weeks still? Yeah, then I saw that six weeks is a little bit short. So we moved to 3000 uh, for three months. And then, uh, yeah, that was, I, I started to stop the six weeks. But we know six weeks is way too short. And also I realized if, if I only sell six weeks, after six weeks, I have to do the whole thing again because then all the clients are finished, you know? So three months was a much more, mixing it up was good because okay. then I had some people finishing and others starting. So 55,000, were you able to pay yourself? Were you able to keep almost 55,000 for your salary? No, I have a different view on that. Okay. So I, after doing all my CEO work for a decade, I think a little bit differently about profits. Okay. I knew that if I started my own business, I was going to run my life through the business. 
for that purpose, I don't need to pay myself salary. Okay. I immediately from day one leased the car. I had the car already. I just moved it over to the company. Day one, my company was paying rent to me personally for using my office, home office. Okay. I have home office in two countries. I have a place in Iceland. So I have all this income from the company without paying myself officially a salary. But you do have an income. You just structure it differently. Yeah. I don't take it from the profits. Okay. That makes sense. So, okay. Out of the 55,000, were you able to have decent life? Very good life. Actually, my salary for the whole year, 2014, was 74,000. I had made some money before, but most of it came from the last three months after it clicked in my head. How do you sell and what do people really want from me? So you work with a, with a coach for six weeks. Yeah. Then you start making that five figures. What was next for you that you scaled to seven figures in year four? In uh, year two, I uh, started with group programs. So I was very clear that I always want to scale this business. I think one of the issues I had when I was running a web software company, if I wanted to make more money, if I wanted my owners to have more profits, I had to hire more programmers. And I decided I was never going to run a business like that myself. So how can you scale without, you know, relying on more employees? That's either raising your price or creating more scalable programs. So I knew that one-on-one would not last forever. I was not going to be a coach, you know, for years and years just doing one-on-one. I raised my prices, but that was not enough. But I wanted to work with more people. My list was growing and I offered the group program. This was in July, 2015. Immediately sold out. It was two times six people. And I had built up this anticipation for launching, launching, and I called it Launch with Passion. And it was a group program. I sent four emails and it was sold out. And then I started with group programs. And I loved the group element of the program. I created some content on launching, obviously, uh, but I liked more the group element. So I decided to run masterminds as my next step. So I sold in the fall of 2015, four or five groups more. I doubled the revenue in my second year from previous year by introducing the groups. Wow. And in year three, the groups completely replaced one-on-one and I was starting to think of you know, stopping it. I still had a little few one-on-one clients, but I started in April, 2016. I decided to start to scale my groups. I always had six people in each group. And I thought, why? Just because I saw someone else do it doesn't mean this is like the universal law of group programs. So I decided to scale them up a bit. Uh, My program in August, 2016 was 18 people which means that not everyone comes on the hot seat in a mastermind, but you know, it's still a mastermind through the Facebook group and everything. And it worked beautifully. These women, even some of them are still my clients today. And they renewed three times. The same group came to me and made me an offer. Sigrun, we want to stay with you. We don't want you to put new people into a group. This is how much we're going to pay you. And I'm like, okay. So for Three years in a row, they were, they were, this is crazy. Anyway, my groups have gone bigger and bigger. In January 2017, I finished selling, I think, four groups 
two were 18 people, one was 10 or 12, and one was eight. And I made $230,000. In that one launch, January Just one launch, yeah, with group programs. And then I had uh, hired a new coach. I had actually worked with a coach in 2016. Uh, we're good friends today, but I realized we didn't fit. You know, my, my scaling thinking was not aligned with hers. Like she wanted small group programs. And anyway, so I decided I need a coach that thinks more like me, like scaling. And I found that coach in uh, January, 2017. I come to the first call, very excited. And uh, he asks on the call, does someone have something to celebrate? And I'm like, Yes, I just had a $230,000 launch, sold out all my programs. And he says, so you have nothing more to sell now? And I'm like, no. And I realized that this was maybe not so good. I thought it was good. So it's yeah. not, I guess. Okay, okay, God, I need, I need to understand. So I had announced the webinar because I, this is what I did a lot. I don't do this anymore, but I always did the webinar after every launch this is also how I had a lot of people on my list because they were curious about my launches. So I would always share what I did. So I had announced over email, I just had a $300,000 launch. You want to come on a webinar and see what I did? Of course, people would sign up. And I was like, I am going to announce a new scalable program. Now I'm ready. I've been waiting all this time. And I knew always I wanted to create a business course. Not launching. This was me like... I didn't feel I was going to be the launch queen. I don't want to be known for that. I'm a business strategist. I like building businesses. Still on the morning of the webinar, I'm not sure what I'm going to offer. But I had created 100, over 100 webinars with the weekly webinars that I created. I had a little membership. I had closed it down. I didn't want to run it anymore. But I was like, I have massive amount of content. I have everything people need. And I just need to redo it and restructure it. So I was just going to, I was not going to sell people just access to my webinars. I had already done that. I needed to sell them a more structured approach. And I'm like, online MBA, that's what they need. So my uh, main assistant, who's been with me now for four years, she is in Toronto, Canada. So oh, when that's C where I am. <laughs> When C wakes up, you know, it's like, I, it's already been six hours here. So basically at two o'clock, the webinar's at six o'clock. So we have four hours where we are in the same time zone and preparing for the webinar. And I'm like, this is what we're doing. We're going to sell this program. And the inaugural class, I didn't call it the beta round. I said inaugural class pays only 2000 but this is actually a $2,000 program. So I announced it on the webinar and sold 50 spots. And I had created nothing. The only thing they got access to was a Facebook group. <laughs> and yes, they got access to the webinars, but I told them I'm going to create the content with you. You're going to have weekly office hours and we're going to do hot seat calls and all that good stuff. But yeah, they just trusted me after following me. And now I've had over a thousand people in this program. The MBA. Yeah, it's a 12 month program. So if I look at the number in my Facebook group, we take people out. This is not like lifetime access. I don't believe in that. I think that's absolute wrong. 12-month access. So people, you know, join and they stay for 12 months. They can renew. And I had 100 people renew uh, last year. So that was pretty good. And now currently we're like 520 or so in the group right now. But I've had, you know, that before. So I don't know, somewhere between 1,000 and 1,500 people have not been in the program. And this helped me make seven figures in 2017. Now, how did you change your mindset about not paying yourself now? A real salary. I had a problem in 2017. 
because I had like uh, grown so fast, like I had tripled my revenue. And I had in first three years of business, I didn't actually pay myself official salary. I was running my life through the business. So I had a good life. I live in two places. And what happened in September 2016 was another thing. My husband lost his job. And he had been a senior executive at Cisco Systems, mm. pretty decent salary. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're talking about between three hundred and 400000 a year. Mm-hmm. And suddenly that was gone. Of course, not overnight. Uh, they pay severance package, da, 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 da. but I got an extra push to have my business. And I think this is one of the reasons I had that $230,000 launch was like, I'm going to sell out all my programs and my husband doesn't have to go back to work. And so in 2017, my goal is to be able to pay his salary and pay myself salary. And yes, the most of the money though came at the very last end. I'm at 340,000, the same uh, revenue I made in 2016 in August. And I'm thinking to myself, my goal of a million dollar business this year doesn't look very good. But a couple of things happened. I launched my podcast 2nd of August with 100 episodes in 100 days. Plus, I did my first live event where I invited paying clients to come to a live event. And I offered them to already in September to buy masterminds for the, to, for the next year. And I made 160000 in one day. So things started to look better. By end of September, I was like, whoo, we are already above the half a million. What can I do? And I, I would write down in my notebook what the programs I had. And every week I would write down, I said, if I sell out all my masterminds and my retreat and all that stuff, it's actually doable. And on the very last day, we're talking about 10 minutes to midnight. I made a million dollars. Okay. And nobody can see my face, but I am like, what? <laughs> Seriously? Did you make that salary? Yeah. Now, now I had so much profit. I was looking into the books and I had not thought about spending the money. No, normally, if you know that you're earning a lot of money, you can upfront, maybe plan. Maybe you need to do some investments, you know, whatever. That's how I would always think. I'm not going to just have profit for profit's sake. Yeah. But obviously, with so much sudden income in such a little time, I had no concept of like, oh, and I just see like 50, 60% profit in my books. And I'm like, oh, no, 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 this is not good. So I start to plan how much salary can I pay myself? How much salary can I pay my husband? Can we put money on the side? So you can put in like, like bad debt revision. There's all these things that yep. you learn yep. in MBA. Yeah, it's good to have an MBA for that. So you can put in costs. I was going into a launch that was starting in December, but we would spend most of the money in January. Yeah, you can put in the cost for that too. So I just went all in, and I ended up with fifty percent, fifty thousand in profit after doing all these things. Okay, I go back. Did you even have any expenses? Because <laughs> yes, 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 I have a lot of expenses. I travel a lot. And that's all paid by the company. All my trips are business trips. I think of maybe two trips a year that are not business. But, you know, when I go to Iceland, it's a business trip because I have, I operate from two locations. I go to the US six, eight times a year. Actually, I think compared to other online businesses, my costs are quite high, but on purpose. Like I was always planning to have this lifestyle and I'm having the business pay for it. And I organize my life and business. That's kind of a mix together. So when it came to paying myself salary, I felt like I don't really need that extra money. 
because I already have a good life through the business. But yes, I pay myself officially a salary since January 2017, basically, yeah. Okay, so Um, did you create a budget? Did you create a financial model for your business? Funnily enough, even if I teach it, I do a very simple one. Very, very simple one. I use the same one I use for my clients. It's basically an Excel sheet. I have the costs that we've had, and I'm just looking mostly at the revenue. I'm I'm, I'm more focused on the top line growth. Mm -hmm. I just want to grow really fast. We've already made a million now. It's half year. So I know I will make two or three this year. I just, I am really, I, I want to build an eight-figure business as fast as possible. And once, then I've, when I build an eight-figure business, it's going to be a $100 million business. And the reason I want it is not because of the money. I, am, I have a good life already. It's because I want to prove that women can do it. And then you prove it though, even with yourself, like just listening to your story. So what are you excited about for the remaining 2019? <laughs> I'm excited about my event because I realized that online business is great and I do some offline events as well. But in order to have the impact I want to have and really accelerate gender equality through female entrepreneurship, I need a conference. I need my own conference. And I had been thinking about it for a while. I had the perfect location in Reykjavik, Iceland. It's a fiercely red room in a fantastic concert hall. Imagine Sydney Opera House, but modern. It's glass windows. They can put light behind the windows. In October last year, I booked two days, June 18th and 19th. It can host up to 1,600 people. It's crazy. I, I feel a bit crazy still to have done it. We are about to start you know, announcing the speakers and, and opening up for, for ticket purchases soon. But basically, that's what I am most excited about right now, because also I want to finally combine it with a book and a documentary. You know, money needs purpose. And Mm -hmm. the money I make is not just for me. It's for my mission. Doing a conference where I don't plan to sell my coaching packages, documentary that I hope to put into Netflix, but who knows, maybe it just ends up on YouTube. And book, we know nobody's going to be rich from a book. All of these projects need investments. And I'm basically investing back into this impact that I want to have. I want to inspire women to go after their dreams. And I will not do it just with an online business. I need to do it through means of a book, documentary, and a conference. And so that's become my main goal for 2020. And I'm getting a little bit nervous now. (laughs) But yeah. Wow. Okay. So you said about 100 million. When are you planning to reach that? I'm focusing on the eight figures first because 100 million seems very far reached, but I would say eight figures within three years and the 100 million within 10. Oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, Sigrun, what do you think the key of your success? Really? Because it seems like, I don't know, like, do you think your situation is unique or do you think everybody can do it? I believe if C can do it, you can do it. So a C is just a woman in general. If somebody can do it, you can do it. I don't think I have anything special over it. We're all special, but I do think you need to be fired up. Like you need to have, be frustrated about a situation or something like that. Something needs to pull you forward. And gender equality has always been my why since I was 16 years old when Mm -hmm. I was brought up in the belief I could do anything I wanted. And then I started to talk to women and they're like, no, you can't. If you had kids, you can't. If you get married, you can't. I couldn't make my dreams come true. And I'm like, really? And then you see examples of women who do it. 
So in which reality do you want to live? In the reality where you say, I can't, or the reality where you say you can? But I think you need to a why. I think you need to why. And I have a very strong why. I see inequality all the time. I know there's a lot of other inequalities, but I have to focus on my version mm-hmm. of inequality, which is gender. And it's, it's actually probably more Western uh, world gender equality that I'm focused on. Like, yes, we, I want to help the whole world, but the, the equality, I'm, I'm, I'm focusing on the equality that I experience personally and that I see other women, whether it's Switzerland or United States or, or Iceland, see, you know, Iceland is supposedly number one in the world in gender equality mm-hmm. since forever. It's not that we are so good. The other ones are just so bad. So I already know what is working, not working. CEOs in Iceland, I was one of the four. There were 100 largest companies in Iceland, and I was one of the four. And I was like, there were four women, and there are 96 men. This is in 2004 and five. Today, I think there are 11 women and 89 men. Things have not changed a lot. And we're talking about the number one country in gender equality. So something is seriously wrong. And... I see it my mission to change what I can change. What would be your best advice to other female entrepreneurs out there? Follow your dreams. Never give up. Sigrun, where can people find you? The best way to find me is uh, on Instagram. I love Instagram. My handle is sigruncom, one word. And the Sigrun Show podcast. And in both these places, if you're interested in joining me in Reykjavik, Iceland, my conference for female entrepreneurs, then I'm definitely going to be announcing that all over Instagram and my podcast. Do you know when is that going to be yet? Yes, it's 18th and 19th of June, 2020. It's already reserved. We are just in the final phases. We do have more than half of the speakers confirmed and soon it will all be announced. Sigrun, thank you so much for being here. It has been amazing to listen to your journey. Thank you for having me, Christina. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for joining me here every week at Her CEO Journey, the business finance podcast for women's entrepreneurs. Head on over to kristinashahli.com forward slash Her CEO Journey to subscribe for this podcast. And don't forget to tell other women entrepreneurs that this podcast is available for free in the podcast apps of their choice. Until next time, and let's continue to grow a business that fuels the life that you want to live.